covering so much material in such a short amount of time, there are going to be some huge chunks left out of it. So I just need to let you know that up front. Um, normally, you know, I think next week we're only doing, what, 15 verses or maybe less than that. This is hundreds of verses, so I really had to pick and choose. And I do have an outline if you want to use it, but I need to let you know it's not a true outline to Romans, so I wouldn't want, you know, the Gestapo or whatever to get a hold of it because um, I wouldn't want anyone to think that that is the outline for Romans. But if there's some, but if it will help you, just raise your hand and I'm happy to give you an outline and you can just toss it when you're, when you leave here. Well, let's see. Okay, maybe I'll let you pass some of these back and then, okay. If there's enough. I think I made enough. I made 20. How many people are here? About 20. No, I think it's enough. Yeah. So those are just the topics that we're really covering today. So I just want to make you aware of that. Um, so let's start off. Um, during this whole study, we're going to talk about many, many topics. But some of the things we'll be covering, this fly really likes me, uh, is faith, our union with Christ, Israel and the plan of God, and living for God. But this morning, what we're going to talk about <laughs> fly uh, is being right with God and some people have even you know said that this portion is what must I do to be saved so uh, I know that Rose already prayed for us but I'm going to say something really quick too if you don't mind so if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads with me father you are so gracious and kind to us you have poured out your mercy on us at the cross we are in awe of you at your saving plan that you would even consider us. Father, your word is so wonderful in Romans, and no one is able to teach it here on earth, Lord, well enough. I just pray, like Rose said, for your Holy Spirit, Father, to just fill all of us and to teach us. We are yours, Lord, and we completely depend upon you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever had to make a really big decision and um, you thought you knew the right way and you plunged on ahead even if people maybe had told you to hold back and you had some warnings? Um, is, was, oh, I thought that was a raised hand. <laughs> but then it ended, up, it ended up turning out really bad, um, completely, completely wrong. Well, I have a story about a guy who thought he was doing something right or safe, and it ended up being really bad for him. It says, a Texas man died after he mockingly took a late-night swim in an alligator-infested marina close to the Louisiana border. Who's heard this? Anyone heard this? This was just recently. One minute he's there, and the next minute he's gone. Michelle Wright, who works in a restaurant at the marina, told KFDM-TV in a separate report, I asked him to please do not go swimming. There's a bigger alligator out there. Please stay out of the water. Justice of the Peace Rodney Price said Tommy Woodward ignored both the verbal warnings and the posted no swimming alligator sign. He also seemed to mock the reptiles before going into the water. He removed his shirt. He removed his billfold. Someone shouted a warning, and he said something the alligators and jumped in the water and almost immediately yelled for help. Very sad story. Um, but you can see he ignored the warnings, right? He plunged ahead. He thought he was right, but in the end, 
he ended up being completely wrong. But what about being completely wrong about the way to be right with God? Um, the Bible tells us, if I can figure this out, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And this morning, we're going to talk about some ways that seem right to mankind, and we're going to talk about the way that is right and how we can be right with God. And so that's the title of our study, Being Right with God, uh, from Romans 1 through 7. And you can see I made those divisions there, the verdict, the gift, and the conflict. And I think I actually have it here, too, because I wasn't sure if the PowerPoint was going to work. <laughs> so if um, you'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And like I said, we're leaving a lot out. Primarily, we're going to stay in Romans 1 and Romans 3 and Romans 7. So, um, but for an overview, I'm going to give you a brief overview. Uh, the letter to the Romans was written by the Apostle Paul sometime probably in the late 50s A.D., most likely from Corinth. And Paul is very excited to be writing to these Christians, um, most of whom he had never even met. Um, Paul had heard about their great faith, and he uh, longs to see them to go to Rome because actually he had never even been to Rome, and he wants to share the gospel with them. He wants to encourage them to share Jesus Christ, the one that the prophets had talked about, the one who had completely changed Paul's life from a, a Jewish persecutor of Christians to um, the, the man that God chose to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So um, Paul really wants the Romans to understand this gospel. Um, because, you see, he didn't establish the church in Rome, and others did, and there was lots of false teaching out there, and um, he wanted them to have a firm foundation because, as we know, there was a lot of persecution in the early church of Rome, and they were going to need to know what they believed, and we know that many of them did stand firm on the gospel because they went to their death um, having faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and we, too, here in America, we may not be experiencing the kind of persecution that these believers had to face, but um, we definitely see some opposition coming. So we, too, need to be grounded in the gospel to know uh, what the gospel is because we don't know what's right around the corner. So the church there was comprised with both Jew Gentiles and Jews, but it was mostly Gentiles. It had changed a bunch throughout um, the beginning of the church there. But Paul was a Jew, so we are going to see him in a few places in Romans speaking about each group. But they are one in Jesus Christ. And so he says in verses 6 and 7 um, that believers are called to belong to Jesus, loved by God, and called to be his holy people. They were separated uh, unto God, though they lived in this very pagan Roman world. Verses 16 and 17 contain the heart of Paul's message about the gospel. And um, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, even though the whole world might think that he was foolish. Um, he had known and had seen 
that the gospel is powerful. And that word power um, in the Greek is dunamis, and it actually means um, dynamite. So I don't know if you knew that, but God is redeeming people. He's rescuing people um, from a certain and frightful eternity apart from him through the gospel. And Paul says here that it's for the Jew and for the Gentile, which really means the gospel's for the entire world. But in the gospel, um, the way to be right with God is revealed, and it's by faith. In verse 17, the term first to last, I don't know if you can see it there. I'm doing the wrong thing probably here. First to last right there is actually faith to faith. So when you look at that, um, that verse actually says faith four times. So faith must be really important to us in our understanding of the gospel. And faith is the way that we're supposed to live. Paul says the righteous will live by faith. See, I'm not very good at this. The righteous will live by faith, which is from the book of Habakkuk. And this phrase is so key for Paul that he mentions it again in Galatians. And if you believe he wrote Hebrews, he mentions it again in the book of Hebrews. So um, faith is extremely important. Faith is what it's all about if we're to be right with God. And so I'm going to be expanding on faith more in future lessons. But back to verse 17, we see that the righteousness of God, it actually means a righteousness that is from God, one that satisfies God's requirement for righteousness. We need righteousness, and God gives it to us. God declares us right through faith. Though in practice, we may not be perfect. We may not be so right. So that is, that's the good news, right? God is giving us something that we don't have and that we desperately need. So, but this morning, when we're going to look at this, righteous, this word righteousness. So we don't really have time to delve into faith, but we will, like I said. So, and I know I'm pressing the wrong thing. I put up on there the, um, oh, that's right, Rose. I'm supposed to be looking back there, but it's not back there. Um, I put up the Strong's definition there, but I love what the lexicons say. And if you look at these three lexicons, um, they're, they're all really similar in content as to what they're saying. The condition, be accept the condition acceptable to God, the state of being right or being vindicated, and the state of moral perfection required by God to enter heaven. But for this morning, just to make it simple, when we're talking about righteousness, um, we're going to use, okay, there we go. We're going to just call it being right with God. And for faith, we're going to call it believing God. And, you, you know, it would take <laughs> forever to, to talk about what faith is. But um, just for today, that's, that's what we're going to call it. So in, the last, so in the last portion, like if we go back here and we look at this phrase, and it says the righteous will live by faith, we could say those who are right with God live by believing him, okay? So that's how we're to live. Those who are right with God live by believing him, live by what he says in his word. We believe it, we trust it, and we act upon it. So again, we're going to learn about the way to be right with God this morning because we're going to soon see that apart from Jesus Christ, none of us is right. So let's go to our outline and with Paul. Oh, yeah, I can't see that. You're right. <laughs> and with Paul as he um, shows us this glorious gospel that he wants to share with these believers who had already heard the gospel, but um, he wants to share it with them again and make sure they completely understand it. So 
back to our outline. This first section is the verdict. And what we'll see here is Paul is going to be speaking to or about some different people groups. And um, I'm going to hold this up right here, and I hope everybody can see it. And I want to apologize for the elementary nature of this poster, but it helps me. And I think if it helps me, that maybe it'll help you too, okay? So this first group here we see is sinful humanity, okay? And that's the first portion that we're going to be talking about. Um, God rejecting these are some of the descriptions others have said about it, too. So um, wicked, uh, it's been called pagans, and it's comprised of Gentiles. So from 118 through 32, that is what is being addressed. And, you know, it's funny because my husband goes, that guy looks so happy. <laughs> and for the most part, people are happy, right? Would everybody agree with that? And the second section is um, moral man, self-righteous, and there is some discrepancy between how some people break up this section. Um, but for today, what we're going to do is look at it mostly for the Jews, a two, I mean, I'm sorry, for the Gentiles, um, chapter 2, 1 through 16, and then um, the Jews, 2, 17 through 320, which Paul does directly speak to the Jews at that point in the chapter. But these are, these are, these are the good people. For the Gentiles, they think they're good. They're a good person, Right. But for the Jews, um, this is, this is they, they think they keep the law, and that's how they're good and how they're right with God, okay? So when we address them. And then this last group is those that are righteous in Christ, those who are believers. They know that they don't have any righteousness of their own. They need it. They have faith in God. And this group is comprised of both Gentiles and Jews. And everybody knows what Gentiles write is just everybody who isn't, isn't a Jew. So... I hope that helps as we're walking through this. So let's go to our um, passage. And again, we're speaking to this first group. Paul is, is, is speaking to this first group here. But I think we're, you're going to see, you're going to find yourself in many places here throughout the whole thing. I know I do at least. Um, not that this is my position because it's not. But <laughs> that's, we are going to find ourselves in many places. So let's move on. Okay, our first point is Gentiles, pagans need righteousness. And when we say pagans, it's, you know, those who are um, polytheistic and worshiping idols and, um, or just living for themselves, I mean. So, or their self is their God, I guess I should say. So, and we're going to talk about the wrath of God. Man recognizes God. This is a little bit more involved than yours because I just whipped up that, that thing for you last night just in case we didn't have PowerPoint. Man recognizes God through creation and in his conscience. Man rejects God in his heart and his mind is affected. You don't have to write all this down, but man regresses further into sin. He became an idolater, sexually immoral, abounded in all kinds of sins. So that's a little more um, detailed, I think, that maybe what you might have. All right. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God 
nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful, in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Um, God's wrath has been defined as his righteous anger directed as at sin. And we know that the Bible speaks of um, a wrath that is coming in the end times, a day of wrath of the Lord. But here Paul is speaking about a wrath that is manifested, a wrath that um, is in the here and now. So Paul wants the Roman believers to um, understand just a tiny bit of the scope of man's rebellion against God uh, and the consequences in order that they will really truly understand the magnitude of what Jesus Christ has done for them. So that's why the first three chapters of Romans are so very heavy because if you don't understand um, the wrath of God that is on everyone um, apart from Christ, you can never understand the glory of the gospel. So, but I think it's also, I think another reason too that Paul wanted to, um, to speak of, of these things is because it really helps us, no matter where we live, to assess our world around us and to know similar things are going on all around us as well. And it'll, it'll help us as believers to really assess our world. So the first point is man recognizes God. Um, for some reason, this isn't moving like it should or it's by my thumb. Um, man recognizes God through creation and in his conscience. So God has made himself known to everyone. Um, there's no excuse for anyone to say that God hasn't made himself known. And we see here it's, it's through creation, first of all, first and foremost. It says what may be known about God is plain to them. God has made it plain to them. And um, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what's made, creation. And we also see there that although they knew God, it says, so inside of man, there is a recognition of God. That is very clear. And actually, one of those verses there, God has made it plain to them. In the King James Version, um, it said that God has, I don't, I'm trying to remember exactly how they said it, as um, oh, something about, does anyone have a King James with them? I'm trying to remember what it said. But um, it is evident within them, something to that effect. Is that what it says, Sarah? Oh, okay. So, but the point is, is that man knows. They know about God from what he's made. That man should be in awe of how beautiful and wonderful the world is, the beauty of creation, and also know how brilliant God must be from what they see, and also be able to determine that how loving God is for all that he provides for each one of us. Um, but the wicked, it says, suppress that truth that God reveals, and they come up with their own ideas of how the world was created. I mean, we see that with the, what, the Big Bang Theory. I don't even know if that's still a theory these days, if they're still promoting that. But man also recognized God in the sense that um, he knew that there was going to be consequences for his actions. 
At the end of the chapter, it says, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. So that makes it pretty clear that man has a sense of there is a judge and there's a judgment. And um, he knew that he was going to have to be accountable for his actions. So our next point is that uh, man rejects God. And it says here, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts darkened. So even though man knew God, he didn't worship him based on what he saw around him. He didn't bring God glory by living for God's glory or seeking him out. Um, man didn't also bother to just thank God for what he's been given, like it says here. Maybe he thought he deserved more or better, a more, more satisfaction, more things, more pleasure. And his mind became, as we can see here, all messed up, right? Um, he was puffed up with pride in his own um, assessment of the world around him and how smart he was. Apart from God, he thought he knew better than God. So the next point is that man regresses further into sin. Okay, there we go. Um, further into sin and further away from God. He became an idolater, bowing down to idols, uh, sexually immoral, moving away from what God designed um, be for between a man and a woman. And, and Paul um, says that there are shameful lusts. Um, so you can see kind of the, the degradation of man um, after he rejected God. Um, he just fell further and further into sin, idolatry, and sexual immorality. So he exchanged God and all of God's good ways and benefits for other things that were more appealing and more harmful to himself. And did you notice the word exchanged there? Um, how many of you have done a Roman study before, by the way? Okay. So... We see this, um, they exchanged, they exchanged, they exchanged in the first chapter of Romans. Um, let's see if I have that. Exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, which is unbelievable when you consider the, the sovereignty of God, his incredible power, um, that they would make an image and bow down and worship that. Um, exchange the truth of God for a lie, um, worship and serving created things, and then ex their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. So you can see that they were exchanging God for something else. So each time they would become more and more depraved. Paul, when he wrote this letter, was very, very familiar with Roman idol worship um, and like the worship of Caesar. So it was said that at the time of uh, during Paul's letter, that it was typical in the Roman world that when you sat down to a meal, that it would be dedicated to a so-called Roman god who was supposedly present with them at that meal. So very familiar to, to Paul's. And his audience would need, needed to see that God's wrath is against all those things around, him, around them. And as we see in verse 25, it says, oh, where are we? Verse 25, they exchange, wait. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Um, so what they were serving was really anything but God, anything but God. And at the, Paul at the end of chapter one really brings it home as to why the, the wrath of God is being revealed. He speaks of mankind and says, they are being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, 
evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, like we said before, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And I think that verse 32 is so key for our times, don't you? We see people applauding sin and people who are flagrantly sitting, they're cheering them on in their sin. And, but what they're actually doing is, is cheering them on to death. You know, they think they're acting in love. But, you know, if we stand on God's word, we know that that's not what they're doing. They are not loving. So some of these sins, I think that we can look at and say, yeah, I don't maybe do that so much. But what about being boastful? Or what about disobedient to parents? I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's been disobedient to parents, right? <laughs> but, I mean, I have a house full of disobedient parents. <laughs> but who's been unloving? I mean, think about that. So what did God do about all these sins? I mean, we've, we've seen idolatry. We've seen sexual immorality. We've seen this huge list of sins here. Um, it says here, uh, God gave them over. God gave them over to them. So God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity. God gave them over to degrading passions. God gave them over to a depraved mind. So he handed them over to the increasing wickedness that they wanted to do in the first place. Uh, releasing man in some way to just go deeper, deeper into the sin he loved and away from God and to experience the consequences of leaving God for idols and for sin. And we don't really know all the ways that God manifests his wrath in the here and now. Um, but this is very significant. And it, frankly, it's quite terrifying um, that God withdraws what's been coined as restraining grace from man and just lets them plunge, right? Um, and that man doesn't, doesn't really care. So now it's possible, again, some people had felt like they hadn't rebelled against God in these ways that Paul has talked, spoken about, um, you know, like these unrighteous Gentiles. But um, especially the Jews. I mean, the Jews would have thought that since they were given God's law, um, they are righteous, they're already right with God, so now Paul addresses the Jews, um, but again, some scholars have really designated the first part as moral Gentiles that he's talking to. So, you know, the Gentiles that have, that, you know, have an internal rule of conduct that they are going by. So, um, this, so this is where we're going, this is where we're going now. So if you'll go to your outline, we'll see that, um, oh, I didn't even fill those in. Wait, let me go back. Jews, moral men, need righteousness. Remember, we talked about the need for righteousness. And we're going to see here that man judges others and is hypocritical, and God is a patient and righteous judge. So Paul says this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, 
because you who pass judgment do the same things. Those are hard words, aren't they? So Paul had just depicted the state of the wicked mankind, right, in chapter 1. And some might be, again, saying, look at those wretched sinners. But Paul is now saying, you're in the same boat because you do the same or similar things, things like it. And this reminded me of when Jesus speaks of sin being in our heart, you know, it's what's inside of us, you know, what comes out of the man's lips, you know, and stuff too, because that, that results from what's in our heart. But um, so Paul's saying you're in the same boat. You're asking for judgment really against yourself when you judge. So he says in verse 3, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? And I don't know how he said that, but that's how I would say that. <laughs> but the answer is no. And Paul goes on to talk about the fact that God is the only righteous judge. He's the only one who knows what's inside of us, and he is impartial. And there's a day when God is going to judge man's secrets through Jesus Christ. He's going to lay their hearts open, and everything is going to be exposed. But humans, when they judge, they really just expose their own sinfulness. Okay, And Paul says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So further on down the line in this section, Paul reveals to the Jews that they are really no better than Gentiles or pagans um, just because they're given God's law. I mean, obviously some people are better on the outside than other people on the outside, but they thought that they were better because they had God's law, right? And he says, in fact, that they break the law in verse 27 of this passage. They are hypocritical. He actually says that his name is being blasphemed among the Jews because they break his law, but, but claim to be the law, claim to be the law keepers, right? And this would probably be a huge shock to them um, that they were not right with God, right? So the Jews have a privileged position. They were entrusted with the very scriptures, the very word of God, and they were the ones that were supposed to reveal God to the entire world. So this would be very hard for them um, to hear. But in regards to sinfulness, they don't have any advantage, okay, because they, they're sinners too. Well, in chapter 3, Paul really sums it up. He says this, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And then Paul kind of strings together these Old Testament quotes, from, mostly from the Psalms, to show the Jews that they really aren't righteous and that really to show all of us that we aren't righteous. So this is what he says. I'm not going through the whole passage, but there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then he says in verse 19, that when faced with God's law, every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And he says no one's going to be declared righteous by obeying the law. So if we were to stand before God one day and be compared to the law or even to be compared to our own righteous you know, requirements of ourself and our own conscience, we would feel miserably and we would be um, counted as guilty. So the verdict for section one is that the whole world is guilty. 
so what we've read in this first section, and this is almost three chapters, you know, of Paul's encouraging letter <laughs> to, um, to the Roman church, um, it's what theologians call the doctrine of spiritual depravity or total depravity. And one, one theologian actually called it the cinerama. And I hate to even share that to you because it's kind of funny, but this is really not funny at all. I just like that term. But we may admit that we do things wrong, right? I mean, doesn't everybody do things wrong? But to be depraved, um, that's, a, that's a whole other matter. But all we need to do is to look at our children, you know, I'm sure they, they uh, look pure and innocent when they're born, but then you have to watch out for the terrible twos, and then the terrible threes, and then the terrible teens, and then the terrible twenties, and then, you know, I'm in the terrible f almost 50, right? So, um, so we all, we all are guilty, right? Um, but part of our depravity is that we tend to take sin very lightly. Don't be so hard on yourselves. Everybody does that. And, you know, we do want to comfort people with that. But I don't know if you've noticed that the Bible is never really light on sin. Okay? Um, we are called as believers in Jesus to be a holy people, to be a people separated unto God and to pursue um, righteousness in all of our conduct. But our pr So our principle for this section is just there is no one righteous, not even one, and that's not from me. That's actually from 310. So um, I stole it, but really from Psalm 14 or Psalm 35 too. So that's our principle. There is no one righteous, not even one. Well, we know from the scriptures that God loves the whole world and that he desires all men to be saved. But he's not under any obligation to save anyone because by nature we're all sinners. Um, so, or by nature we were born into sin. Let me explain that a little bit better. And if he didn't judge the world, he would be unjust, right? And we want justice. I mean, we want justice for those really, really bad people, right? But we don't want justice for ourselves and our own sin. So in the end, man has a really big problem, right? And it's truly a bigger problem than any of the problems that we even think about today. I mean, it's, it's a bigger problem than the economy, our household budget, you know, the global warming, global freezing, um, you know, hurricanes heading our way here in Charleston, whatever it may be. Um, we are a people that are separated from our creator, and there's nothing that we can do in our own power to save ourselves. So... We've abandoned a loving God, a God of beauty, a God of, of goodness, a God of safety, and we have um, gone our own way, right? And so the next, so how, I guess, after hearing all that, that we've, we've just been through, how can we be right with God? Well, the next section is going to show us how. We're going to talk about, or how, or how can we be right with God? We need to receive a gift from him. And so now, of course, we've moved over to this person here, right? But Paul begins with, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to, am I turned off? No. Um, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace 
through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So just when it seemed like all hope was lost for the world, we're all guilty, the God who is the judge and the creator of this entire universe, the one that actually declares us guilty through the law, also provides the remedy for us. He's given us righteousness and justification as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in his son. Um, and, oh, maybe I need to put this up here now. So righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. So he met our need through Jesus Christ. God with us. Now this righteousness is not because we obeyed the law. It's not because God looked down at us and he saw that there, we had potential. You know, we had something good in us. Um, Romans says that God justifies the ungodly. So if you're ungodly, there is hope <laughs> for you in the gospel. Um, it has to come from somewhere apart from us. So how did God do this? It says God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through, shed, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Jesus Christ, by shedding his blood on the cross for us, for us, freed us from the wrath that we deserve, from the condemnation, from the eternal separation from God, and amended our relationship with God. Christ's life was taken instead of our life, and he bore the judgment that we deserve for, for being guilty before God. Um, so God decided that his son will receive you know, what, we, what we deserve. Um, and it is received, as we see here, by faith. And I wish that we had a lot more time to talk about faith. But faith has always been what God has been looking for in his people. And Paul has a great section here in chapter 4, if you get the time to read it, explaining Abraham. Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness, and he lived before the law of Moses was ever even given. So he believed what God said, and he acted on what God said. He was not perfect, I think we all know, if we've been through, um, if we've been through the earlier books of the Bible. But, um, but so Abraham's way of being righteous with God was completely through faith in what God had said. And that's our way too. There is no other way for us to come than to believe God's testimony about his son. He's given his son for us. We need to believe it and act on it. So now we have, through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a right relationship with God now. And remember the wrath that we deserve? Since we've now been justified by his blood, we've, we've been declared righteous by God through Christ's blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? But for the people that don't receive the gift of God's Son through Jesus Christ, it is said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So there's only one way to go. You, you cannot reject God's Son and the offer that God makes to save the world through him. In Romans 6.23, 
it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is one of the key verses um, for explaining the, the gospel. How many of you have heard of the Romans Road? Yeah. And you may have even come to faith in Jesus through the Ro Romans Road. But this is one of the key verses. And again, it's a gift. It's the gift of God. So I'm not going to read through these, but look at, the, look at the places in Romans that we see the gift, the gift of God. Paul explains in chapter 4 that if you went to work and you do your job, your paycheck is not a gift. It is an obligation by your employer, right? Because you've worked and you deserve that paycheck. If you had to work for God to save you, it wouldn't be a gift. And you could say that God owed you something. But God doesn't owe anybody anything. Um, but God loves the world. And so Paul goes to great lengths to help have them understand that there is no place for anybody to boast um, or to have spiritual pride, thinking that maybe we're more holy than others within the church because we all come the exact same way through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel completely humbles us. And Paul says in, in, um, in uh, chapter 5, verse 11, that we can boast in God. That's all that we can boast in, not in ourselves. So the principle for this section is this. God declares sinners righteous through... Wait, where am I? Oh, there we go. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm thinking all of you, as I look out, probably have heard the phrase, stop and smell the roses, right? I mean, you don't really hear it nowadays. My kids had no idea what that meant. Who, who doesn't know what that means? Everybody knows what that means, right? Well, anyways, the idea is that there is something really exhilarating, really wonderful, um, really just amazing. But it, it's right before you, but you're just so busy. I mean, you're just walking along your path of life, and you don't take time to really experience it. Well, Paul... Um, wants the Romans to really understand the gospel, to smell it, to know it, to enjoy it as a rose, right? It's a gift. It's a fragrant and beautiful offering from God. So, and he also wants them to love the gardener. Buster says that we must preach the gospel to ourselves daily. And we never need, we, we need to be careful not ever to lose the wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We need to be captivated by him. So I guess the question is, what is keeping you preoccupied these days? Um, what is keeping you from beholding the wonder of Jesus Christ and what God has done for you um, through God's word, right? Beholding the Lord through his word. Um, so the gospel truly is the gift that keeps on giving. Now, I have to leave out so much scripture due to time, but... Um, Paul knew there was going to be a lot of objections, right, to this righteousness uh, by faith in Christ alone, especially, again, from the Jews because they had the law and they couldn't understand righteousness apart from the law. So, and Paul brought up a lot of questions that they may ask earlier, you know, about, like, well, why don't we just keep sinning now, you know, if this is the way it's going to be. Uh, but he also brings up a question earlier in here, too. But people had um, misunderstood Paul in regards to the law, they thought that he was against the law. You know, now that he's saying that salvation comes away other than the law. Salvation is through faith. And so, um, and again, I don't have time to really go through the law, the, the moral, civil, ceremonial law, 
um, and explain in each chapter where <laughs> which law is being spoken of. But just know that Paul delights in God's law, and he calls it holy, he calls it good, and he says that believers uphold the law. Um, the only problem is that nobody can be saved through keeping it. It's an entire different way of salvation. And Paul found out that after he was saved, um, and he loved God's law, he still battled with sin. The problem was not God's perfect law. It was what Paul calls the flesh that is in him. In fact, when he heard the law, specifically one of the Ten Commandments, do not covet, he said it just aroused his desire to break the law. It's like knowing something's really fattening, and so you just want to eat it all, all the more. But, so Paul tells us about his experience in Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to show you our outline first. Ooh, that was the flowers I was going to show you. Um, you know, I guess I'm behind myself, aren't I? That was our last portion. Um, so believers battle with the flesh. Believers battle with the flesh. So I'm just going to pluck out a few, a few verses due to time. I think we're doing pretty okay, though. Um, where is it? Okay. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does that sound like your experience sometimes as a Christian? Does it make you sometimes doubt that you even belong to Jesus? Um, a famous Christian singer-songwriter um, said these words about this portion of chapter 7. I don't know if Paul's talking about his life before he got saved or his life after he got saved. All I know is it sounds a lot like my life. <laughs> and many theologians and pastors and, and saints and regular old people believe, or I would totally agree with that guy. So... Paul shows us this war within himself, and it's between the flesh, and this is, in his words, he calls sin in him, right, and the spirit, and we'll talk more about the flesh later on, too, but he has the desire to do good, but the opposite is happening, so why is this happening to him, and I remember reading somewhere that in this chapter, chapter 7, that I, me, and myself are listed something like 47 times. And um, I didn't count it, but what was significant this, this person had taught was that all of the focus was on Paul and all of his self-efforts to just, now that he's saved, he's just going to obey the law, right? He's just going to, in his own power, he's going to um, do what God wants. And so I'm always leery of those types of observations, you know, that that's what, what the text is really going to because the scripture isn't real clear about saying that. But I will say in chapter 8, we see that we cannot defeat sin in our own power. Um, we don't have the capability to just lift ourselves up, as they say, and do the right thing at every moment and every day. And we'll, we're going to learn next week um, where our power for fighting sin comes from. 
But um, for now, this is such a battle. Paul is just miserable, right? He feels himself to be wretched. So saved believers want to obey God um, wholeheartedly. And this experience, intense really, of internal conflict is not what we want for our lives, right? And it's not what God wants for us, right? So, but the reality is, is that um, the flesh is still there. And we're going to learn a lot more about it next week, like I said, but this experience is part of our sanctification. Um, It's being saved from the presence of sin in your life and mine and learning how to walk with God. And God is getting us ready for Jesus, right? So though we are joined to Christ now, and if you get a chance to read through, if you haven't already, chapters 1 through 7, um, there's some wonderful um, things that Paul has to say about our union with Christ, which I would have loved to have gone into. But though we're joined to Christ now, sin wants us back. You know, you need to know that. Sin wants us back. He's like an old boyfriend, right? He, he des- deeply desires that we'll just come, come into his ways, right? So, and again, we're going to talk about that, but we're devoted to someone else now. We belong to someone else now. We belong to Jesus Christ. So if this is you and you are experiencing the same conflict that you see here in Paul, I hope that you'll, well, I mean, I don't want to say I hope that you'll take heart because I don't know your heart, but um, it may be, may be the very proof that you need um, that you belong to Jesus. Um, I say maybe because I don't know your heart, but there is a battle that goes on inside of us if we belong to him. I found this John Piper quote, and I thought it was very applicable. Praise God for the war within, which sounds terrible, but (laughs) serenity in sin is death. To be content with sin in our lives is what we saw here, wasn't it? It's here. It's death. It's death. So some have said that this passage in Romans is to refute the false teaching of perfectionism, um, which is that we're completely free from sin now that we're saved, right? We're completely free from any even type of temptation to sin. We're just, you know, absolutely perfect now. But um, the scriptures teach us otherwise, and I'm happy to show you some verses later on, but we don't have the time right now. So maybe you are feeling like Paul. Maybe you feel like you are trying so hard to defeat sin in your life, defeat temptation, and you're failing, and you're miserable, and is there any hope from you? How are you going to be saved? Um, Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we really look at that, Jesus is the answer for us um, to be saved from sin, to be saved from um, this battle. He's the answer. He was the answer for our eternal salvation, and he is the one who is going to rescue us from sin in our lifetime too. So, And we are going to completely um, talk about that next week. So um, find your rest in Jesus. drink in the gospel, stop and smell the roses. Um, Our Lord tells us that apart from him, we can't do anything. We can't do anything. He's the answer. So um, to close here, oh, let me give you the, I think I did that principle. Jesus Christ is the answer for weary believers. And the last thing I'll say is we just began by looking at how, and I also want to apologize for talking so fast, but I 
I just, we had a lot to cover, and I didn't want to leave anything out that I felt like needed to be in there. So we began, next week will be way different. We began looking at how mankind um, can be so completely wrong in the ways that they take and when they think that they're right, right? Some flat out run from God. They reject him. They shake their fists like the guy that, you know, jumped into the alligator pond, right? Um, just curse, just ignore any kind of warnings and, and run from God, run, run from his loving provision for them. And then we have religious moral man who is completely wrong. Um, he's a good person. Surely he's not going to be judged, right? And the Jew that's going to make his own way through obeying the law, he's also completely wrong. And then there are believers who are both Jews and both Gentiles um, who are righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And they hear the powerful gospel, and they understand they have no righteousness, and they go God's way, which seems like a foolish way to the rest of the world. Um, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So they take God's path, and they're safe. And God gives them a gift, and he joins them along their road. And um, though they may falter and stumble, they are in his hands. And just like Paul said in the beginning of this chapter, they are um, called to belong to Jesus and loved by God and um, called to be his holy people, right? So they're right with God. So praise God for the mercy that he's given us, right? So let's um, close in prayer. Oh, Father, we are so in awe of the gospel and what you've done for us and how when we come to you, you just give us so much. You give us so much grace, and you, and you don't leave us to ourselves, Lord. You take care to, um, to help us and to discipline us when we need discipline um, so that our lives will be lived, Lord, according to your way, so our lives will be full of the joy of the Holy Spirit so that we'll be close to you, and I just thank you for all this reminder today of what we have in Christ. And I thank you, Lord, for the women who came here today, Lord. I thank you and I, I pray for their hearts to just dwell on your word as they go home and go about the rest of their week, that they will have joy in you, um, that they will worship you, Lord, from what they've seen today. Father, we really love you and we, we want to just thank you for our time together. And, um, and we, we just... Bless your name in Jesus. Amen.